Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. Interesting week here at West Virginia. Might have some news in one of the sports as far as who's leading it. Spring football rolls on. It's always portal season in college basketball. And on the college basketball thing, kind of a cool idea treat for the audience here that we'll get to in a second after I welcome in. Chris Anderson. Chris, think about this. Uh, spring football, portal season, ranked baseball team, coaching search. It's uh, a lot going on. I think I said this before. I hope I didn't say it on the air before, but like, you kind of feel like one of those cooks at a cheesecake factory who's got to know like a whole bunch of different international cuisine and meals and dishes because a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's an interesting spring. Uh, like you said, a lot of stuff going on, and I don't. I feel like it's different. Like spring has been busy before. I mean, it was very busy last spring with Graham Harrell coming in, recruiting JT Daniels, uh, all the talk around Huggins in the basketball program. What seven, six, seven guys transferring out, new guys transferring in. And this still feels different, but still busy. And I. Yeah, like you said, got to got to be prepared for just about everything, and and I, it, you could tell by the questions that were in our mailbag that the fans are itching for answers all over the place, uh, just about every topic. Put that one on a T for me, Chris. Thank you. Here's an idea we have, and we're gonna roll this out. So it's not even an idea as much as it's a reality that's coming here from the men's basketball team. Jay Coons, the director of recruiting and player personnel has agreed to participate in a Q&A with our message board. Kudos to him, brave soul, hard worker, obviously. So here's what we'll do. This afternoon, I'll put up a post on the VIP side, ask Jay your questions. And then he will pop up on here, and we'll do a podcast where we ask him questions, and he gives us the answers as to what's going on with his job, Roster construction, roster management, NIL. Maybe we can ask him what's the second best story that he can share through his experiences with getting a roster together because he gave us the one anecdote last year of trying to get a player who ended up in the SEC who wanted $700,000. That certainly turned some heads and made you realize that this is a whole different animal than what we were used to before. That was quite some time ago, and I think we're more conditioned to some of that outrageous stuff as far as what it takes to put a roster together. And they're on the ground doing it right now. Obviously, we all know about Kirk Creesa 
and some of their other pursuits. He can talk in generalizations about what they're doing. He can't really mention a lot of the who's. He might not even share some of the why's because this is a trade of his he's trying to master, but has agreed to sit down with us and take some questions and give us some answers. And as you mentioned, Chris, people have a lot of questions. We can't answer them all. Kind of hard to find a better source for that particular subject than the guy who literally runs the operation on that side of the Coliseum. I was hoping you're going to bring up the seven hundred thousand dollar thing. I was like, are we? Is a full year out? Is that long enough to like get past the statute of limitations and we can find out who it is now? Like, if the player's not in college anymore, could he do that? I don't know. I'll make up a fake screen name and pop in and ask the question on the board. Oh, I've already got my. My dummy handle in there. Don't worry, because I have some things I need to know that he's not going to tell me. But maybe he'll tell one of our readers. Look for the post today. We'll pick out the best questions and we'll let him have it. We'll see what he can do, what he wants to do. But he has agreed to do that. So um, if you see him online, if you see him in an NIL capacity, you want to break him off some cash, want to help him out some or another. I'm sure he won't say no, but we can also talk about how he does go around, not just the roster, but also, hey, how do you get the NIL? How do you get the money? Things like that. I think it's an often overlooked, forgotten part of this. It's not just waving a magic wand and getting players on the roster. It takes a whole lot of work in different capacities, and he can explain that. Back to the original point, Chris. So many things going on. It's a very um, broad landscape right now with sports. A couple of them doing very well at different parts of their seasons or off seasons. It's difficult to kind of herd all these cats in one. Believe it or not, sometimes you and I will let one slide and we just forget something or just can't give it all the attention because our focus is somewhere else. But what do we do? We come back, open up the mailbag, let people throw their questions in, and we are going to be sure that we can touch as many bases as possible. That's why we're here. So here we go. From the board, questions to Chris and I, answers from one or both of us as to what we think or what we know is going on with whatever it is that has your attention, your curiosity. Enough of you, enough of me, Chris. Let's get out of the way. Let's do some questions. Well, let's let's stick on the topic, I guess, the topic at hand of, of basketball transfers and recruiting. I found this an interesting question because it seems like Crowtown a year has an angle here that he's going for, but asks, do you see Huggins bringing in a bunch of role players like last season, or will he actually build a team with skill and talent to make competitive waves in the Big 12? First, Mike, did you consider last year's transfer class just a bunch of role players? I think that was maybe the the idea about it at that time. Because I think it could make an argument that like Joe Toussaint was probably a role player at Iowa. Maybe he was here. So I can get that. I, I'm not sure Jimmy Bell was a transfer portal guy or a Muhammad Wagi was a transfer portal guy. Those were kind of late in junior college players. But when you're looking at what they were going to do, we thought Bell was going to be a guy who played every so often and would match up against like a, a Hughley or a Lampkin. Like when they had a bad matchup, or a matchup where they needed some size in the basket, he'd be a guy they could throw out there. I don't think anybody predicted that he would be the starter for every game until it became obvious. So you kind of have a, a a guy who was a very good rebounder, but tall and skinny in junior college, had a role. A guy like Bell, who was just massive, would have a role. Um, Bell obviously became the starter and a different guy, but I think at that time you're like, these are just role guys. Um, Tucson, role guy, like backup guard, who could get you the minutes when Akedrian Johnson was on the bench. Mitchell, Kind of a more known offensive player, had probably the highest star power. And then you're looking at Matthews and Stevenson, what were they going to do? Matthews, in, not in a negative sense, was a role player his entire time here. He had a clearly defined role and never really stepped out of that. He did a lot of stuff, didn't do like one singular thing so well that it made you think he was a star in that capacity. And Stevenson 
yeah, I think that was the guy that you're like, okay, here's their their shooter score they brought in. He was going to be a leader. So maybe he doesn't fit or Mitchell doesn't fit. But I think that was probably the idea back then is that they got a bunch of role guys to fill in. It just turned out they became like their key players. Um, what do you, I, let me, I answer that part. Let me ask you this. How would you answer the part out? Well, one, would you agree with that assessment since you asked that question? But two, what do they do now? Because that wasn't terrible what they did last year. But obviously they want to get better. They want to go further in the postseason. Is that going to be enough or that to have a different focus? Right. I think it, 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 for me, it was like kind of on the fringe between role players and actual starter caliber players for the Big 12 because Stevenson, Matthews, and to some extent Mitchell, obviously he had a little bit of an up and down time uh, the year before. But prior to that was like a full-time starter that was very, very good. Those three seemed to me like you went out to get them as starters, guys that were going to start on your team. And they did. And they contributed. And they helped turn that team around from a sub-500 team to an NCAA tournament team. So I think it was successful. I think um, the way I referenced it to another question a week or two ago was I don't – I wouldn't say that Huggins has fixed it, like, in story. I think he's in the process of fixing it. And that was step one – and it's much better to be in the process of fixing it while winning than fixing it while losing. You know, well, I think Huggins is, has been has said this several times before that he'd rather learn a lesson in a win than learn a lesson in a loss. And I think this was was similar um, this year. It does feel like there are a couple big names that they're going for. Kirk Risa again. He's he's going to be recruited by everybody more or less. Um, and that's something else to remember. Like, I got people, you know, when we put the hot board up, I'm like, hey, this is it? Where, where's this guy? Where's that guy? And it's like, hey, just a reminder, there are, what, 300-some teams out here trying to recruit transfers at the same exact time. Now, granted, West Virginia shouldn't be competing against the bottom 250 to 300 of those, but you're still competing against a lot of teams for limited amounts of talent in the transfer portal. So it's easy to say, hey, why isn't West Virginia getting, you know, this 20-point score that, you know, could immediately start and make a huge difference? It, it, it's not that simple. And as you noted with our with your story from Jay Koontz earlier, money is heavily involved. And basketball has been notoriously mm, under-the-table money uh, wise for for years and years and years before nil and now it's just above table and below table you, you got i mean more or less people are going to be looking for money all over the place so these are all factors you got to keep in mind when you're saying why aren't they recruiting player x yeah but i mean it's it's kind of funny that the money thing is so arresting to us now it's generational i mean it's fbi remember like now it's just kind of like yeah hey, whatever do your thing yeah, I think that 700,000, like that number doesn't shock me because those were numbers that were probably being paid 10 years ago, five years ago, but just not openly like it was. Big numbers in the portal this year, too. I can promise you that. Some of the stuff I've heard on some of the players that West Virginia is kicking the tires on, it's like nest egg stuff. So good for them, I guess. Get it while you can. Yep. Um, moving to, let's see, I, I, I is it, uh, bad form, poor form to ask a question to myself and then just me just answer it. Is that poor form? Not now. Not that you've told us what you're going to do. Okay. Well, 
I, I don't know if you're in the process of uh, re-upping your recruiting card, but mm -hmm. from CE5588, he asked, is Samaj Jones QB target number one for West Virginia? Answer, yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, it feels like it. he's got them in the top four. He's visited multiple times. He was in camp on campus this past weekend. He set an official visit for June. He told Brian Doan uh, of our network that, you know, it would likely be June 16th. I'm told that West Virginia might be trying to make it June 2nd. They're going to work out what obviously whatever they can make work with him. Um, but I found it interesting because you make your target list and you talk about guys that get offered. And then you have a coaching change at that position. And, and a position is as important as quarterback and a change at offensive coordinator. And so I watched closely with those guys who had claimed offers from Graham Harrell that had gotten interest from Graham Harrell that were interested in Graham Harrell's type of offense. And then what happened, who was still around after the quarterback change that, uh, you know, from Harrell to Reagan slash Chad Scott as offensive coordinator. And Samaj Jones was more or less the only one that kind of appeared in both categories. And I would consider that, you know, an important factor here. He's got ties to the pro, not ties to the program, but very close with the coaches. Again, been up several times tight with uh, Richard, Richard James, um, the only commit in the 2024 class right now. They actually rode up together this past weekend for the visit. So keep a close eye on that. I do think West Virginia is leading. I believe there's a crystal ball pick in for Penn State, but my understanding is that Penn State might have him as like 1B with another quarterback and same with Oklahoma. And if they're going to kind of play the waiting game with him, West Virginia might be able to kind of hammer home, hey, you're our guy. We are putting all our chips in on you. Can I ask you a question? Sure. When's the last time they had like a major quarterback target from the Northeast? Are you saying the chuggernaut doesn't count? Major quarterback target. I mean, yeah, he was what, New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. My question stands. Are we going back to like like Bolger? Brad Lewis was here. Yeah, I'm running I mean, through my, my brain here. Like all-time commits. It's like Florida, Ohio. Who is it? Let me hit. Hand, I mean, I'll do the elevator music on the thing here. I can I'll pull do the it elevator up. music here while you go up and down the list here. But like, you typically think about what offenses have become that's spread offense, and you have a lot of like Southern quarterbacks who can play year round, who get all that seven on seven experience. Um, you go to the years, and you're talking. I'm just cherry picking here. Greer, Geno, Skyler Howard. These are all guys from the South and the Southwest. You go back to like Jared Brown. I'm trying to think. Bradley Starks was a quarterback recruit, played receiver, but he was like Southern Virginia. Yeah. Taj Boyd, Southern Virginia. And that's mm -hmm. that's not quite Florida, but I mean, here's a guy from Philadelphia. And again, a great program too. I think a lot of people would say that as far as Northeastern like schools go, that's been a pretty talented factory of football players for a while, including Josiah Trotter. Can't forget that. But I was thinking about that like, it doesn't mean he can't run spread or he can't do what they're doing on offense, but I just think about how the talent has become so concentrated passing the ball in those, those I guess, year-round football climates where they can have spring football and you get that extra bit of, of seasoning. It stood out to me that here's a guy from the Northeast. Again, good program, all the resume that you want to have, but just from a different part of the country, it stood out to me.
to answer your question, there have been three players listed as a quarterback recruit in the internet era. So 2000 or so, 2001, that came from north of the Mason-Dixon line. Ooh. Adam Bednark, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, oh, excuse me, four. I forgot about Brian Athey out of Minnesota. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, the the chuggernaut out of uh, Skillman, New Jersey. And Chavis Rollins, who oh. what, I think he was a wide receiver within like a week and a half before going over to Duquesne. Uh, an all-timer camp guy that you saw in person later on, you're like, what were they thinking? Oh, no, yeah. That was the one I think I told the story where, oh, God, who was that kid? He ended up at Michigan, and he was there. And I think it was Jake Spavital was just like, holy crap, talking about the kid who went to Michigan. I'm, I'm blanking on him. He went to Michigan and then UCLA, transferred around a couple of times. He was from Richmond Collegiate in Virginia. And he was throwing at the same camp as Rollins. And, I mean, I don't think Rollins could hit, like, the broad side of the barn at that event. And – just kind of looking at the coaches like is this is for real but you know he was so athletic that you're like okay i see what they're trying to work with here but man that was a tough one that was a tough one anyhow go on just an observation of mine northeast football where you at no you're right i mean in what i just named four guys how many of them you know actually contributed bednarik kind of sort of hmm and that's it, yeah. So, because I don't, I, I remember the name Brian Athey, but I don't remember if he even made it. You know, like through one semester. I believe he ended up in Colorado, didn't he? I can't remember. Yeah, we'll find out. Okay, somebody. I'm sure somebody will let us know. Um, back to the mailbag. Let's see what we got. Those big picture questions. Let me come back to that later. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Actually, a lot of these are big picture questions. Let's go, let's go to football real quick. Although I think Wicked Jester is trying to set you up to get electrocuted here. Mm. Electroshock. He says, I know you can't talk about formations, but are you allowed to tell us if it's something brand new or just a variation of what we have already seen in the past? Well, I don't think it's going to get me in any trouble to say we've seen some two-back stuff, for sure. And that's a variation. But they've, they've talked about that, and we've seen it. I'm not going to, you know, shock me. Sorry here. But, like, that's that's pretty obvious development there, especially when they talk so openly about that. Um, how they've gotten into and out of two-back, I, I won't give that away for fear of losing my precious access there. But, like, that's been interesting to me, and we haven't seen a whole lot of that, too. Um, and... I don't know what it means. I just haven't seen a ton of motion, but I also don't know that spring is the time for motion, especially if you're trying to be so simple with installation. But like a couple of days, a couple of times early on, you saw some quick stuff on handoffs, like on jet. And then I haven't seen that a whole lot lately, but we've seen so much pre-snap stuff before that sometimes that's window dressing. You're trying to create advantages and maybe they're just lining up those advantages. They're just going to use their manpower to do it. But um, so one, yeah, the two back stuff, but also without giving it away how much they've gotten in and out of it, the different ways you can do that. 
with personnel. You could probably use your imagination there. I'm just not going to say it because I don't want to. Um, and then also just like it hasn't been a whole lot of moving pieces before the snap of late. But we've seen such a small sample of like live stuff that I'm not even sure that's a takeaway. But as I read that question, as I was trying to quiz myself at the moment reading it, those are the two things that popped into my mind. Moving on to there were several questions that were big picture athletic department questions. These are good ones, too. Yeah. And I think they're good ones to openly discuss. I think they're, they're better for discussion than they are for written answers. So let's start with. SJJSWVU4. He asks, big picture, how healthy is the WVU athletic department as a whole? How does that change if you add or subtract certain sports or departments? Before we get there, I believe, mostly because this was being discussed on the board uh, quite a bit, but it was, it came out, was this last week sometime? Yeah, March 27th, that West Virginia University as a whole, not the athletic department, is facing a $35 million budget deficit. And Gordon Gee said it could grow to $75 million in the next few years. Your thoughts, and is that related to the athletic department? I have a hard time with like the the hand in the glove there because there's so many different ways you can do the bookkeeping and the explanations that it can be disorienting. I would say this, if you do sports at a place that's going to lose between 35 and $75 million, uh-oh, like you're you're not cutting up the ticker tape and playing the parade for that. Like, man, we got a good right now in the in the athletic department. Oh, yeah, why is that? Because you're 75 million in the hole. Oh, those conversations are, are going to be under the same umbrella, I would think. You remember that? Sorry to interrupt. You remember that? Was it the USA Today thing where they always do the budgets for the athletic department? Mm-hmm. And I think I put up a story because that year it said that West Virginia's athletic department, and I'm forgetting the numbers, but something like they were they were in the black, like a hundred million dollars. Like they were they were good. And I don't think it had been up 10 minutes before you got a call. Was that right? Do yeah, I remember took, that took a call, didn't make a call, took a call. Yes. That was like that is wildly inaccurate. Yeah. I mean, it was it wasn't our reporting, but it was just like, don't pay attention to these numbers. Because a lot of people were like, wait a minute, if they're in such a good standing, then why aren't they spending on this, investing in this, redoing this? And the reality was, yeah, that that money exists in some theoretical capacity, but it's not like in an account you can access, which brings us to this. If neither the theoretical capacity or the account you can access, I would think here, right? It's just projections, and sometimes projections are aggressive and sometimes they're conservative, so who knows? But the, the fact that you have to make these estimates is not good um i don't work there anymore and like like just i mean people know this i was an adjunct professor for a long long time so i was not in any type of a meeting or whatever but at least i knew like what things were going on because for example the school that i worked in like what if they were going to cut funding or a major that i helped build um a course that i helped design like that was a, a concern to me and especially if that was something i wanted to do in the future so i would pay attention to some of that stuff just to see if it was healthy or not but it was never so dire like it seems to be right now how healthy is it in athletics, though, again, it's hard for me to make that connection because I just I don't know the other side of it that well. But I can't think of that's a good thing. And I would think that some of the things you may have to do, which I think are going to get to um, responses for a ne- uh, following question here, Chris. So I won't get too much into it. But sometimes to make money, you have to spend money. If you're going to have more revenue, you're going to have to have a larger budget. It's going to be difficult to do that stuff. For example, how do you create revenue? You build stuff 
that is an attraction and draws crowds and that crowd spends money. But you can't build stuff or create things if you don't have the budget and the money to do it. So ultimately, does that money come from – maybe you're getting it from an ATM in the athletic department, but that ATM goes back to your bank, which is the entire university. So it might be hard to withdraw funds on that stuff right now. So that would concern me. If you're having just a separate conversation, though, if the athletic department is just its own entity with its own bank and its own athletic or its own ATM, to continue that, how healthy is it? This is a good question, Chris. Um, it, listen, you're not you're not bragging about the last time you got sick being like seven or eight years ago or anything like that. Um, you you got some symptoms and you're probably on WebMD being like, man, what is my scratchy throat? I can't get rid of this cough. What's going on here? And you're probably looking into like calling your doctor and just going in and be like, something's not right. Now, are you sick? Are you going to the ER? Do you have a surgery plan? No, no. But you could feel a whole lot better. And you're probably curious about what's wrong and what prescription may help you get over this. That sounded kind of dire there. I mean, yeah. dire. But yeah, but we can't, again, you can't say it's a great spot right now, right? And again, right. It's not a financial thing. Like, what's your most successful season from the past X years in sports? Seriously. Can you answer that? No. I mean, it... I've had some good runs by teams. Like, Nikki's team went pretty far a couple times. And yeah, had an NCAA tournament run for, for the volleyball team. But, like, those things haven't been – it's not fair to Nikki because she's had a powerhouse program. But maybe it's just it hasn't been as much of a powerhouse lately. It, it's, it's very hard to criticize what she's done and what she continually does there. But like, you know, um, volleyball didn't get back, you know, has, has wrestling taken the steps there? Have your other sports done it? Like rifles good. Yeah. Rifles really not carrying the flag for your athletic department. I'm not saying that volleyball and wrestling success would do the same too, but if you have a lot of good parts, you have a good apparatus, right? And they have some good parts, but maybe not consistent enough. And then when you look at your major, major programs, hasn't been it. And that's a revenue thing, too. If you got good football and good basketball and you're drawing good crowds and you're getting postseason payouts and postseason units, things are better. And they haven't had that lately, too. So, yeah, dire, you can use whatever adjective you want, but it's not a, it's not a, it's it's not like a viral, you know, virulent program at the moment right now. There's a lot of stuff going on that, you know, has the sniffles and needs a cure. Yeah, not to, but if you put it like the athletic department as a person's body, like if we made it anatomy, I mean, your your football programs, your heart, your basketball programs, your lungs. And if those aren't working, it doesn't matter that, you know, your gallbladder is in tip top shape or something like that. I don't know if that, does that analogy make sense? No? no, I get it. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're the journalism guy. I mean, all right. Uh, Ren has been, this is from the big dude on a related question. Ren has mentioned us being in the bottom half of the conference as a major hurdle for us competitively. What are some things that could realistically be changed to get us into the top half of the conference? Win, mm-hmm. win, and win, right? Yeah. That's realistic too. Now, granted, but here's the deal. It's kind of what I was getting back to. And there's still another question here. I don't want like, so I don't want to answer it all right now, but they're going to have to spend money to make money. Like it's just the same thing. Like you get better coaches, you have better facilities, you create better revenue when you have the money to do that stuff too. And like their, their expenses are pretty high. And some of it's a necessity because of travel 
and some of it's a necessity because they're paying stuff off. That's fine. The travel is probably not going to improve and change. Maybe it'll be a little bit less, I guess, because you're not going quite as far to Texas and Oklahoma guaranteed every year in basketball, for example. But you're still making maybe extra road trips. You're going to BYU to, to gobble up some of that. So unless like travel expenses can be diminished, which they're not going to do for their major sports, that might concern you if you're a, an Olympic sport. But like you might not travel as much in Olympic sports now because just the way the conference is going to be constructed. Um, so that's that's something to look at, too. But if they could find a way to have a bigger budget and and do some things that can create revenue, that's that'll be helpful because the only way they're going to get out of this is if they have money makers and ways to get out of debt and to get on the right side of the ledger. So how do they do it, though? Is that the specific question here? I think that's another one coming up. But um, the things that have to change are probably they're going to have to make more money. And the counterintuitive part here is that you're going to have greater revenue maybe when you have greater expenses, when you're spending things to generate revenue for you, when you're spending things on that, which will give you more return. So, you know, if you're spending on coaches, if you're spending on facilities, you know, nutrition, technology for recovery, whatever. But like if you're spending more, you're going to get more of a payback on it too. And sometimes that might be, you know, let's let's build a parking lot and we'll get all that money for parking. Well, you spent money, but you made money. And there's things like that you can do in that department where if you spend on stuff, if you have a greater capacity to spend, a greater budget, eventually you're going to have a payoff. And you're going to start creating revenue off of what you've created with your expenses. Which leads us to the question you're referring to from Luke Zoolander 01. When Ren Baker was hired, he indicated he'd be meeting with each head coach and then make a list of needs, action items for that sports program. If you were the AD right now, what would your top two items be for each football and men's basketball? All right. I don't want to get too into NIL here, but that's an absolute necessity. They've got to figure that out, obviously. So you're going to have to figure out a way to coordinate, but also stimulate. You're going to have to figure out who has to be in charge of that, but also how they're going to make the money. Number one. Number two is the Mac. And that might be one, but they just got, they just have to have better fundraising in an authentic sense. Whether again, the concern here is you're taking money out of one pocket and putting it in the other when it comes to the Mac and the NIL apparatus existing next to each other. And maybe that's happened, but just in some places you don't have as many pockets to go into of people. And if you're making them choose between one or the other, that's difficult. So if they can prop up the Mac and do that, that's fine. Um, if they can get the NIL organized and, and productive and lucrative, that's fine too. But then into the specific sports, I don't know. I might defer to you here a bit, Chris. Like, again, we've said this before, like they don't need a bunch of stuff. Like they have good stuff. So I don't know. This is a tough one to answer. I guess I would let you go first here and then maybe I can backfill it. But in your like in a, in a recruiting capacity or in just a guy who's around the campus as much as you are and you see things that match up with perception and reality or maybe just need a new coat of paint, like what do you think would be good answers here for those two? I mean, cash. Like yep. you said, you didn't want to get into the NIL thing. I, I, that's the one thing. That's the one area where they're really lacking. And I think it's even more important. And I know – um, you know, no one in the football program is going to want to hear me say this, but I think it's even more important for basketball because in football, there is a larger talent pool of players out there. I think even if you have all the money in the world, you're still probably not getting, you know, the five-star quarterback. If he's coming down to choosing between, you know, a million dollars at Alabama or $2 million at West Virginia, I'm, I'm still not sure he's taking the $2 million. Um, but in basketball, it's kind of a supply and demand type of thing. There are fewer program-changing players in basketball, and it's more easily, 
you can more easily turn your program around in basketball with one player or two players than you can with football. So I think when you're talking specifically about cash for NIL deals, basketball, I'd be lining up trying to find ways to get them money. Um, because yeah, I mean, if you're again, just with the story we were talking about earlier, $700,000 for a guy who, and I think I did the math on trying to figure out who it was based off of the hints from the conversation last year. That's $700,000 for a guy who, if I figured it out correctly, was not like an all-conference player. Like, he's a good player, but $700,000 for for a starting point for a guy who's not even an all-conference player. And that's the kind of money we're talking about with, with basketball. And that's a place where, again, you can chunk some change down on like two guys and change your whole program like that. Two things here. Um, one, reality show. Just do it. ESPN Plus, uh, whatever their their in-house thing is now, I forget what it's even called. Just do it. Follow around your football team this year. You know, season on the brink style for Bobby Knight, if it's that. Or Huggins. Like, Huggins is at that point of his career. Like, I think you have a few opportunities left to really get under the hood with him. And, like, I think that would be an awesome way to – to tell the story of the team and man, you can make money off of that. You absolutely could. Will they do it? 100% they will not do it for reasons that you and I might like, they will not. So, oh, well, but like, I think that would be a really good way to get people interested in the team. And then all of a sudden you start throwing money at things, you know, cause you'd learn to like it and that would be good. But also you could make a ton of revenue on that stuff too. Number one, number two, outside the box. I'm sure Holly field like still exists, right? The old baseball field, it's still there. Uh, there's a huge like space of real estate out there. I don't know what you can do with it. They're not going to make a softball field because they're not adding a sport. Like you're not adding sports right now. They just don't have the money to do that. Um, so what do you do with like an old baseball field or just some real estate that's in that Coliseum complex, right? Can you make that into like some village for for fans for basketball games and things like that? Where maybe even football games too. You come in and there's a food court or there's food trucks or there's a you know there's clean bathrooms and there's places to park and. You think about how you accommodate fans. You give them something, build it, and they come, right? If you had some place where you could do something unique at a basketball game, you pay for it, you pay for the access for it, you go and you have some food, some drink, you have a clean bathroom, um, you know, out in like a tailgating area. There's just things you could do like that where you have a space to do it. You're going to have to spend money, I get that, but you're going to have to make money. And, and like, this is maybe not the answer to that question, but like it's unanswered to a question like this because you have something that you don't have a plan for, what are you going to do with it? Well, make it do something for you. It doesn't like there's no green space on campuses anymore. Every time there's like real estate somewhere, they put something on it. Like there's a Starbucks or a sheet somewhere where there used to be like a hillside and you have the space there where you can maybe actually do something like things like that. I wonder if you're going to see them start to monetize just spaces. If it's just like space on a jersey or space on a playing surface, well, space on a campus too that you can do something that's unique and gets people to be like excited. It's the same thing as like a club area inside of a football or basketball stadium. It just happens to be outside where you don't have anything going on right now. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that. It could be for for any other events that go on in that complex, like swimming and diving and wrestling and gymnastics and things like that. Just something that's there that maybe pops up and you can make some use out of. We'll see. Need to buy more time, don't we, Chris? Mike, I think uh, I think you should just rent out your back porch and that way everybody could just Watch WV football team all the time. What do you think? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Certainly, I don't spy on them with my binoculars hiding beneath a bush. 
dressed in green. Mm-hmm. Not me. Check out the board later today. Ask your questions for Jay Coons. He'll come on. He'll answer what he can. But what you want to know, Chris, you'll come around, sweep up some other questions and answers sometime soon. Beginning of another busy week, huh? Yep, absolutely. I expect um, some more news with some basketball transfers. Uh, Maybe not commitments or anything, but guys starting to line up some visits. I've already put a little note on the message board about a Division II All-American in football who might be getting up to campus for a visit. And then, yeah, spring practice still going on, so keep an eye out. Stay tuned. Check the board. Ask your questions. Hold our feet to the fire. We'll keep you updated as we can. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.